the people who are more likely to stay in food animal medicine had really strong mentorship. They tended to be in larger practices. So they had multiple doctors in that practice for mentorship. And the other thing that they found really important was peer mentorship. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful, short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Welcome back to So You're a Vet, Now What? I'm your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. It's no secret that there is a shortage of veterinarians and that this extends to the food animal sector of the profession. But what are the factors impacting the changes we're seeing both in the veterinarians and how practices are operating? This week on the pod, I am excited to welcome Dr. Marissa Hake to the microphone. Marissa is an accomplished veterinarian, speaker, and all-around encourager as she shares her daily life through social media as the calf vet. In this episode, we talk about the external factors impacting the profession and start the conversation about how we can encourage new and existing veterinarians in the profession. I learned so much about the food animal sector, and I'm excited to share this episode with you, so let's dive right in. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of So You're a Vet, Now What? Today, I am beyond excited, as usual. I feel like I'm always excited (laughs) about these things, but I have Dr. Marissa Hake with us today. So Marissa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. This is going to be a fun episode, mostly because I'm really rather out of my depth in this topic. But we are talking about the veterinarian shortage in the food animal sector. And obviously, you are a cattle vet. Um, You live, eat, and breathe this on the daily. And you are also very influential on social media, kind of sharing what your life is like so that normal everyday people and also veterinarians and new graduates can kind of see what does this life really look like? So I'm really excited to get your viewpoint on the topic. So... Right now, like we know, yes, there is a veterinarian shortage. It's across the board. Kind of from your perspective, like how is that impacting the food animal sector currently? Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely a problem. And we've, you know, we've been identifying that for a long time and we're trying to figure out solutions. You know, I think when you look at the food animal sector, you really have to look at what is the industry doing that we're serving? So we're looking at consolidation within the food animal space, whether you've seen it with hogs first and poultry, and now we're starting to see it with dairy cattle, and and we're going to see it with beef cattle as well, where farms get larger and uh, less ownership, right? And so we're starting to see that in the food animal side, and we're responding to that. So one, we we probably need less veterinarians, but they're going to cover more animals. And then two, we're looking at how do we serve our clients in a different way, in a way that they need now? So, you know, we've probably seen the shift more to say, staff veterinarians, right? Where one veterinarian, it works for a farm instead of a clinic and where they work for, you know, multiple farms. So just that kind of difference in structure of following what our clients are doing and seeing within their industries. Um, And so I think we need to really respond to that and figure out where does the food animal medicine veterinarian fit in with this industry now? 
No, that is a honestly a big question. And like I said, I'm out of my depth in this topic. And I hadn't even really thought about the whole consolidation impact on everything. And so, yeah, I guess like, yes, you need fewer veterinarians, but even so, we still don't feel like we have enough to fully serve them. And then also, I guess in a little bit of a ways, do you guys also see like the smaller shareholder farms? I guess, like, how does that impact it? Yeah, I think that's another struggle too. So we've obviously seen, you know, there's less farms in general. And they're getting farther apart. So we're seeing food animal practices that are, you know, serving two, three hour, four hour windows, which is really hard. How do you do emergency work when you're three hours away, right? And so they have these huge practice areas that are really hard to serve. And it's definitely a struggle for especially for new grads coming out and trying to establish maybe a new practice area or something like that. It just has to be the clientele to keep a veterinary clinic in business, right? And so on social media, I often get people who say, hey, we, we just don't have a good vet in our area. And I, I challenge them, well, when's the last time you called a vet? Well, I called them two years ago for a prolapse. And I'm like, that doesn't keep a veterinarian in your area. Emergency work does not keep a food animal veterinarian in your area. That's just the, the reality of it. And so it's one, encouraging farms to utilize their veterinarians and see the value in them beyond just that every three-year emergency work, Right. And figuring out a way to keep them in their communities is part of the resource. And that's really part of the struggle, right? Is spreading out farms, lack of calls, a lack of, you know, daily work on those types of farms. And so, like I said, it kind of goes back to my original thing is like, we have to figure out a way that the veterinarian brings value back to farms. And it might not be the traditional preg check emergency work that we're used to. Are you a new or recent veterinary graduate? If so, listen up, my course, So Your Vet, Now What? has been put together specifically for you. We focus on the non-clinical skills, don't tune out. This is not as dull as it sounds, I promise you. In fact, almost every career problem that people face are due to not having well-developed non-clinical skills. The skills that I'm talking about are things like client communication, so you have great relationships with clients, emotional intelligence, so you've got great relationships with your teammates. Effective negotiation skills, so you can get paid what you are worth. Management of imposter syndrome and how to build formidable resilience. They're not just skills, they are prerequisites vital for success in financial and emotional well-being. This course serves as an essential stepping stone to your success. So let's take the leap together. I will be your mentor as we go through 12 modules helping you transition from being a student to being a fully rounded professional. Head to www.drdavenickel.com forward slash S-Y-A-V dash class to learn more. Now back to the show. I know like that's what when I was going through vet school, because we didn't track at Edinburgh. So I got a little bit of experience there. But they're always like, okay, you're going to be doing your preg checks, you're gonna be traveling around. But of course, as I'm hearing now, like if I were to have gone into food animal, like that's a completely different world than what they taught us it was going to be. And granted, it's been changing rapidly over the last couple of years. So in a way, how are they to fully know where this was going to go? But you kind of touched on a big point of just the clientele, like they are shifting. And so how do we care for them? But also their viewpoints on what a veterinarian is and what a veterinarian is supposed to do in a way can be stagnant and but also changing. And I I say that in the respect that like our, our profession is mostly female now. And so 
obviously, when they think of the veterinarian, they probably think of the older male gentleman who comes to the farm. Mm-hmm. I guess like the big question is like, yes, we're going to have more female food animal veterinarians. And obviously, you're one of probably a few at this time in the grand scheme of things. So what has your experience been of starting out as a female veterinarian in that space? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm not among the first ones. There are so many incredible female veterinarians who have paved the way for the rest of us. Like when we stepped into it, uh, we did not face what, you know, 10, 20, 30 years before us did. I'll be honest. And I think that's exciting. I like to caveat because it's interesting. So sometimes I meet older female veterinarians and they almost give you this like, I had it hard. So you have to have it hard too. I had to be part of this good old boys club. I had to figure it out. And I 100% respect that. And that it's not that we don't face any of that anymore. But my perspective on it is I want to make it easier for the next generation of female veterinarians to come in. I don't want them to face the things that I face. I don't want them to face the the things, you know, another veterinarian faced 10 years or 20 years ago. So that's kind of my philosophy on it. And AABP, so the American Association of Bovine Practitioners, I think we just hit 50-50 females to males. So we're starting to see that. Yeah, it's obviously not reflective of what's coming out of our vet schools, like you said, but we're definitely getting there. And it's been, you know, if you haven't had a female large animal veterinarian, you will kind of thing. We're not facing what we used to anymore, to be honest. I don't see that as much. And we have so many great female mentors out there that have, you know, tips and tricks and, you know, work smarter, not harder and all of these things that it's, I think it's a fantastic time to be a female veterinarian going into this. And we're starting to see that on our farms too. You know, we're starting to see that next generation come. Yes, the average farmer is 65 years old. So a lot of our operations still have older ownership but they're being managed by our generation, right? And we're seeing a lot more females coming back to the farms. We're seeing males running these farms who have wives who work or had mothers who worked. And they're just, we're not facing the same sort of issues that we had maybe, you know, 30 years ago, which is nice. Yeah, it is really good to see that sort of transition, not just in the veterinarians that are coming out, but then also in how our clients are receiving them to their farms. Yeah. And so I, I really want to hone in on that topic that you mentioned about like, how do we then encourage this next generation of female veterinarians or just food animal veterinarians in general, honestly? And how do we keep them in the profession? Because I'll be honest, I don't know what the attrition rate is for food animal veterinarians, but I know injuries definitely play into that. Yeah. But like from your experience, what has been one of the really cool things that you've seen um, encouraging this next generation? That's a great question. So I'm part of the membership committee through AABP, and I worked with a a brilliant group of people, and they were looking at just this, of why are people leaving food animal medicine, and really started looking at at recent grads and asking them, you know, what they like about practice, what what they don't like about practice, why they would leave practice, and then also asking people who didn't sign up for AABP again, asking them why they left the organization. And I can share with you that study and so you can post it on here. But what really came out of it was a couple things. One, you know, responding to differences in food and well practice. So moving more towards, you know, consultation and having different skills than what we're learning in vet school. But also one of the things that really rose to the top was mentorship and peer mentorship, which I thought was really cool. So the people who are more likely to stay in food animal medicine had really strong mentorship. They tended to be in larger practices, so they had multiple doctors in that practice for mentorship. 
And the other thing that they found really important was peer mentorship. So either another, you know, first year kind of starting together or, you know, one or two years apart in a practice. So they kind of had that younger person to bounce stuff off of as well and and learn kind of the first couple of years out in practice. And I thought that was really cool. The thought of peer mentorship, I, I don't know if, you know, we really think about that in practice of maybe we should hire two young vets together so that, you know, they can have that. So yeah, I love that. You know, and the other thing that we need to think about is how we're setting these people up in rural America, right? Food animal practice is mostly in rural America. So you're asking people to, a lot of times, you know, I kind of always give this example is like, yeah, your grandpa went to vet school. He came back to his hometown, married his high school sweetheart, had this, you know, support system of family and community and things like that. But this generation is moving all over the country or the world they don't have that community, that support system when they come into a practice, right? And it's so critical to keep those people there is how do we get communities to rally around these new veterinarians? How do we set them up for success? How do we make sure that they have a peer group like we talked about or a community so that they want to stay in rural practice? Because rural practice is so isolating. I mean, being in the rural area, I know I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's isolating if you don't have a community or a family and stuff like that. So Practices really, to be successful, need to go beyond just providing them a job, right? They really need to figure out how to integrate them into the community and how to provide them that support. Oh my goodness, so many things in that. I'm literally back here and I wish you guys could see I'm like clapping my hands. I'm like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Again, like I talk about in companion animal medicine all the time about like mentorship, peer-to-peer mentorship, but to take that model from companion animal and implement it into food animal doesn't exactly work the same because again, you're set up so differently. You're so isolated, Mm -hmm. A, from your home family, B, from your community, C, from from your friends even. You can't just go into work and see all your friends, like all your colleagues. Like You get in the truck, you drive three hours by yourself probably. If you're lucky, maybe you have an assistant in some rare cases, but you are by yourself. So how do we implement that model of or change the model so that it works for food animal medicine. And I want to make sure that we have enough time to fully dive into that because I'm like, this is this is an awesome topic. I need to hear more from Marissa about this. So we're going to we're going to end today's episode on that note. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. I know you guys, you're probably like, dang it, Mariah, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But but we're going to end today's episode here. And then you guys are going to have to wait for part two to come on out. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining today. And I am so excited for part two. All right, you guys, till next time. See ya. So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.